Hello once again, here we are at A Reason for Hope for another hour live with you for your Bible questions. A Reason for Hope is, is a live broadcast and we're here to help you find the answers to your questions on the Bible. So if you have questions, maybe there's a verse or passage of scripture, you've read the Bible, come across something that doesn't seem to make sense, you'd like some help discerning and sifting through what that means, maybe something you're going through in your life, uh, you're facing a decision or direction and you'd like to know what the Bible would say about it, what kind of guidance we can find in the Word. Maybe you're a seeker and you have questions about Christianity as a whole, um, maybe even now future here, maybe uh, other worldviews and religions as they relate to Christianity and the Bible, anything really along those lines, as long as it's an honest and sincere question, we always appreciate that. And as long as you know that we're going to use the Bible to find the answers, not our not our take, not our opinions, not um, even our experiences, but what we can find in the Word as accurately as we possibly can with God's help here today. That's what we're all about here for the next hour here on A Reason for Hope. My name is Dave Robson. I'll be on all those uh, platforms with you, watching for your questions to come in. I'll be going over those in just a moment. With us today, Pastor Scott Richards, who's a senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, where we're broadcasting from. Howdy, y'all. How you doing? I'm doing great. We're all bundled up in here. Yeah. Yes, there, there are actually times in Tucson where you need to wear a sweater and, and, and a very or, fetching looking jacket. Okay, well, thank you. <clears throat> kind of bomber jacket situation of course, going on. My son with the throwback Viking jeans still considers this a little too warm for his taste, but <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Sean Richards as well with us, Pastor Sean. How are you doing? Are you warm enough over there? I am warm. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of a warm person too. I'm just wearing the jacket because I have it and I can the weather's turned but uh, well wherever you are joining us from if you're in the tucson area as you know it's turned a little bit cooler here i won't say the temperature because people you know further north and around the world or even back where i'm from will laugh at they us scoff <laughs> they mock. that summer it dropped below 100 and we're putting yes. jackets on but these are people who live in places where you have to plug your car in at night to keep the engine block from freezing i know why would you do that yeah or even cover you, cover Be your mouth. Be free. You can you can move. It's okay. I heard I can like get the mail and then you die. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I had a friend who lived up in Minnesota, and they told me that you have to cover your mouth when you breathe, otherwise your lungs will freeze. Like, yeah, I've, I've experienced that in have Minnesota. You? Yeah, wow. I'm a California kid. I got out of a car to go to an event, and they said it was five below zero with a twenty mile an hour wind. I uh, got out of the car and took a breath, and I felt like my lungs were on fire. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. And meanwhile, in Finland, when it gets about 60 below zero, they consider it a national pastime to jump in the water. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's all what you're used to, I guess. Yeah. What you're accustomed to. Well, it's not that cold here, but it's cold for us <laughs> as, uh, Arizon yes. as Arizonians. Yeah, we are wimps. <laughs> we are wimps, indeed. But we are, uh, we are hoping that you're sitting comfortably and warm as you join us. Here on A Reason for Hope, as I mentioned, it is a live broadcast. We are live with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Today is uh, Thursday, November 30th. Oh, the last day of November. It's going to be December, right? Tomorrow and Christmas is coming and all that good stuff. Uh, but we are live with you Monday through uh, Friday. You can join us in multiple ways, which I'll be going over with you. It's an outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson, Arizona. If you're in the Tucson area, if you're looking for somewhere to to worship and to get in the Word, we, we would love to have you come and join us. You're more than welcome to come check out our church here. We're near Prince and I-10 on the west side of the freeway, about a block north from the exit on the west side. You'll see the illuminated sign even from the freeway. <clears throat> so come along. We have Sunday services and a Wednesday evening service and lots of Bible studies and 
support groups and events going on. Um, this Saturday we have a, a, a brunch for you ladies, our Christmas uh, brunch at 10 a.m. We have a little program with some uh, Christmas music we were just rehearsing today and then a, um, a brunch ornament exchange and all that kind of stuff. So come and join us for that. We're streaming it live as well. Um, but yeah, lots of events. If you want to check out our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com, calvarychristianfellowship.com, you can have a little click around and see what's going on. But that watch live tab, if you click on that, anytime we're live, we stream to this page, you'll see a schedule of upcoming um, events. Uh, take a look down there, see if something um, interests you. And there's a countdown to our next live broadcast. But we're live right now, so you'll see the video. You can sign in with the username. And there's a chat function where you can send your question in. I'll be right there with you receiving your questions. If you type in ccftucson.online.church, that will take you straight to that same page, ccftucson.online.church, or follow the link from calvarychristianfellowship.com. We're live on Facebook as well. Look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson on Facebook or facebook.com slash ccftucson. You'll find us live there. You can send your question in through the chat function attached to the video. Don't forget to like and share if you've been blessed by this ministry. We'd appreciate that as we continue to grow and reach out with God's Word. So Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson on Facebook. We have an app for your mobile device as well, so you can take us with you wherever you go. Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your app store. You'll see the red background, the white Calvary Chapel Dove logo. That's our app. There's a few different Calvary Christian Fellowship, uh, not of Tucson, but around the world, Calvary Christian Fellowship. So uh, make sure you get the right one. I'm pressing all kinds of buttons over here. Uh, again, red background, white Cabbage Apple Dove logo. You can watch us then on your cell phone or your mobile device. Um, and check out our app. There's some cool features on there, archived messages, things that you may have missed, um, schedule of uh, upcoming events as well. You can sign up for things, all kinds of fun stuff right there in the palm of your hand. We're on YouTube Live as well. A Reason for Hope is the name of the channel on YouTube, A Reason for Hope. We are live on there. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Click on the notification bell if you'd like to be notified when we're live so you don't have to miss a thing. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Choking, dying over here. I'm okay. I'll make it through. If you go to that live tab as well, that's a great place for uh, archives. Anytime we've been live, it automatically archives there. So if you missed the show, you want to recap right there on that live tab. You can see our services there at Calvary Christian Fellowship as well. And we upload other content, uh, questions of the week um, that you can uh, watch for your edification as well. So a reason for hope on YouTube. Pastor Scott here is on Twitter. You can follow along with him, Scott R4H, if you're on Twitter. Uh, I'm sure it's a great place to get uh, updates on the things going on in Israel and the Middle East and just commentary on uh, world events and news events as they pertain to end times and biblical prophecy and all those kind of things and also some funnies and all kinds of Twittery stuff. So if you're on Twitter, Scott R4H, you can follow along with him. You're certainly welcome to do that. We're on Rumble as well, not live, but we post video content, a reason for Hope Bible Q&A. If you're on the Rumble platform, and last but not least, questionsforhope at gmail.com is our email address. Questionsforhope spelled out at gmail.com. You're welcome to send your question there as well. Welcome if you're listening to us on the radio, Reach Radio or another radio affiliate. Be careful out there if you're on your drive time traffic is uh, pretty bad out there so do be careful as you listen along and keep in mind that you're listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded we're not live with you on the radio but we are live on all those other platforms i mentioned but again questions for hope at gmail.com you can email us there any time so wherever you're joining us we're certainly glad you're there please do send your questions in we'll parcel out time to to uh, endeavor to get to those questions today and we are glad that you're joining us 
um, well, why don't we pause to pray as we like to do? Pastor Scott, would you like to pray? Sure. Sean prayed yesterday, so I, it's only fair I give you a turn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely a, a get to, not a got to. Yeah, so, for sure. Talk yeah, to let's God. do it. Father, thank you that we have this opportunity to commit this broadcast into your hands. We pray that that's exactly what would happen, that your sovereign hand would guide and direct our conversation, the questions, uh, the updates that we give. Uh, Lord, we want to take a moment and pray again for your people, Israel, that you would surround them and protect them uh, with your sheltering love in the midst of uh, the attacks that are going on, not just physically, but it seems in the media, even politically. Uh, Lord, uh, stand with them, and uh, may our leaders here in the United States have uh, the common sense to understand that you're going to bless those who bless Israel and curse those who curse them. And May we stand stalwart and unmoving in our support of Israel during this very dark and challenging time. Father, uh, guide us into all truth. Uh, whatever questions uh, are asked, wherever we go in your word, uh, we thank you, Lord, that your word never returns void, but always accomplishes what you send it out to do. So uh, do that miracle. Change lives. I pray that there might even be those tuning in on the outside, looking in at a love relationship with you who would take that step and become part of your forever family by putting their faith and their trust and what your son has done for them, dying on a cross for their sins, rising from the dead in a moment of history, so they could have life and they could know you personally. Thank you for this blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen to that. Indeed. Well, talking of, of Israel, is there an update you can share with us? Uh, well, several, actually. A uh, number of, uh, of events going on. Uh, the most dramatic is that there was a terrorist shooting uh, at the entrance to Jerusalem, three were killed, 11 were wounded, and uh, two terrorists uh, were dispatched in this attack. A 24-year-old woman, this is from the allisraelnews.com uh, site, uh, 7.38 a.m. on Thursday, two terrorists opened fire at a bus stop near the western entrance of Jerusalem. 24-year-old woman, a 73-year-old man who was later identified as a Jewish rabbi, uh, were evacuated from the scene of the attack and eventually passed away. At least 11 other people were seriously injured in the shooting. Mm. Uh, the 73-year-old man was pronounced dead at, on arrival at the hospital. 11 others were reported as evacuated by the scene by first responders, including four in serious condition. Mm. Another man was pronounced dead an hour after arriving at the hospital, but details have not been released. Well, uh, interestingly, a couple of very interesting things. The two terrorists were reportedly residents of East Jerusalem who had spent time in uh, Israeli jails before. Uh, they drove to the scene of the attack and opened fire with an M16 and a handgun. Uh, police found magazines with hundreds of bullets in the vehicle the terrorists were driving. Uh, the Sheen Bet Security Agency announced a couple hours after the attack that the terrorists were brothers, both affiliated with Hamas. Now, this raises a really important question. Uh, if Hamas uh, and uh, their uh, bagmen, if you will, are still killing Israelis, although this is not happening in Gaza, does this constitute a violation of the ceasefire uh, agreement? It doesn't appear that there's any uh, motion uh, moving away from that ceasefire agreement at this particular time. But uh, the uh, fact that uh, these individuals uh, were part of Hamas uh, is very troubling, ironically enough, or maybe providentially, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, initial reports said that an armed Israeli civilian and a soldier engaged the terrorists and were joined by Israeli security forces arriving at the scene. The soldier had been on a 12-hour temporary leave from Gaza 
to visit his family and was on his way to rejoin his unit when the shooting took place. So uh, once again, we're seeing uh, more innocent Jewish people being killed by an organization which has been very upfront about the fact that their reason for existence is to wipe out all Jews from the river to the sea, as their uh, famous slogan puts it. So uh, certainly a, a very disconcerting turn of events there. Speaking of disconcerting uh, turns of events, uh, the Biden administration uh, seemingly is backing away from its stalwart support of Israel. Uh, in an article on uh, the Red State site, uh, we read, if anyone was wondering when the Biden administration would fully bend the knee to the ceasefire now radicals on its left flank, the answer was Thursday, November 30th. Uh, leaked remarks from a private meeting between Israel's war cabinet and the U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken show that Biden and his cohorts have th fully thrown Israel under the bus. Well, that's a pretty strong statement. What happened at this meeting? According to reports during the meeting, Israeli's defense minister expressed resolve to eliminate Hamas as a military and political force. Instead of showing support or even understanding, Blinken reportedly responded, and this is his quote, I don't think you have the credit for that. Now, <laughs> I'm not even sure what to make of that. Is he talking about financial credit? Is he talking about the U.S. possibly cutting off funds to support Israel militarily? Is he saying you don't have the cred, if you will, in the world to be able to pull something like that off? Mm -hmm. uh, we're really not getting a whole lot of clarity there. But uh, the bottom line is the Biden administration has officially lost the stomach for the elimination of the terrorist government that continues to carry out attacks like the one we described within Jerusalem. Imagine if Israel had demanded the United States stop fighting al-Qaeda after less than two months. Would that have made any sense whatsoever? Well, keep in mind, this is the same administration that has repeatedly pledged to back Ukraine for, quote, as long as it takes. I guess Israel, which is a far, in a far better military position to deal with its enemy, doesn't get the same treatment. Why? Well, Israel is a much more committed ally than Ukraine, so what's the difference? The difference is international opinion, driven by rank anti-Semitism within the United Nations, and Biden, Blinken, and the rest of their cohorts do not have the backbone to stand up to that. Instead, they'd rather bend the knee to the street mobs chanting for genocide and raising swastikas. It's cowardice of the highest level. I'm reading from the Red State article here. The United Although we do share their sentiment. The United States expected its allies to stand by it for years in the fight against al-Qaeda, but we are abandoning Israel seven weeks into the war with Hamas, uh, some ally we are. Uh, there is a saying uh, in international circles that if you want to guarantee uh, your fall as a country, put your faith and trust in the United States. Ever since Vietnam, it seems like this has been our pattern. Uh, Senator Tom Cotton from Arkansas responded to the news with the following, the idea that after the worst massacre of Jews since the Holocaust, Israel needs credit to defend itself is outrageous. Blinken and Biden should be ashamed. The American people stand with Israel, even if Biden does not. Uh, Cotton is right. It's outrageous to suggest that Israel doesn't have the credit to destroy a terrorist group. Now, remember that just killed 1,400 people in the worst slaughter of Jews since the Holocaust. He was also right. The majority of Americans support Israel's fight, no matter how loud the pro-Hamas mobs get. Uh, Israel's Benjamin Netanyahu 
didn't take any of Blinken's nonsense lying down either. He responded with a uh, statement that uh, indicates that he is uh, fully committed to moving forward. He said this on his Twitter feed. I have just concluded a meeting with U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken shortly after the Hamas murderers murdered people here in Jerusalem. I told him it's the same Hamas. It's the same Hamas that perpetrated the terrible massacre on October 7th, the same Hamas that is trying to murder us everywhere. I told him we have sworn, I have sworn to eliminate Hamas. Nothing will stop us. We will continue this war until we achieve three goals, freeing all of our hostages, completely eliminating Hamas, and ensuring that no threat like this will ever come from Gaza again. Well, that seems like a fairly clear declaration of intention that we have here. Having said that, uh, clarity seems to be something, well, that uh, is uh, definitely missing in a lot of places. Uh, Fascinating article uh, ran in the Jerusalem Post uh, with this headline, Israeli U.S. officials discussing expelling Hamas terrorists from Gaza, according to a report. The option to expel Hamas terrorists and their families from the Strip aims to make it easier to rebuild Gaza after the war. Uh, the Wall Street Journal uh, reported that uh, U.S. and Israeli officials have discussed, it, have discussed uh, expelling thousands of lower-level Hamas terrorists from the Gaza Strip as a possible option to shorten the war between Israel and Hamas. Uh, it's uh, part of a discussion as to how Gaza will be run when the war ends, how to prevent a resurgence of Hamas or similar groups. One proposal which has been developed by a think tank which was shown in the Wall Street Journal, would involve the creation, quote, of a Hamas-free safe zone that would be ruled by a new Gaza-based authority backed by Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. The option to expel Hamas terrorists and their family from the Strip aims to provide the terrorists with an exit strategy and make it easier to rebuild Gaza after the war. The proposal apparently would not include higher-up Hamas uh, leaders such as Yawa Sinwar or Mohammed Deif. Uh, Israel officials have said the two are, quote, dead men walking. Well, okay. Um, We've talked a bit on this program about how one of the most difficult issues that has to be dealt with in this whole blow-up is the end game. What is Hamas, uh, what is Gaza going to look like uh, after this war comes to an end? How is it going to be governed? What uh, are you going to do with the people and so forth? Since by overwhelming majorities, they support Hamas and uh, what they've done uh, against Israel. Uh, How are you going to deal with them? Especially in light of the fact the same article said a senior Israeli official told the Wall Street Journal, it's not clear that Hamas terrorists would accept the option to leave Gaza if it was offered. I don't see them as rational as the PLO was, says the official. It's more a religious jihadist organization connected to the ideas of Iran. Okay, we have this idea that we're going to build... Uh, Hamas safe zones within Gaza. Uh, We're going to have Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates come in and run this show. We're going to expel Hamas terrorists, lower level, not the commanders, but the lower level. Okay, a few questions. Uh, You know, my little pea brain sitting here in Tucson, Arizona has when I hear things like this, but I think they're worth pondering. A, how do you tell the difference between a lower-level Hamas terrorist and the average Gazan 
who supports these endeavors. We've seen that civilians, Gaza civilians, have been knee-deep in even locking some of the hostages in uh, their attic to keep them under wraps and not feeding them for a week. This was done by a doctor, by the way, who worked at the famous Shifa Hospital. So how do you tell the difference between a lower-level member of Hamas and someone who's, say, a bigwig? I, I, don't, under, I don't know how you do that uh, and allow these people to stay and not just see it become, again, a, a festering wound that is going to end up creating more problems for their, uh, their uh, civilians and more problems for Israel long term. Especially I, I, since Hamas does not wear military uniforms to distinguish themselves from the civilian populace. They all, shade the, they all share the same ideological desire for annihilation of the Jews, which is actual genocide for those taking place at home. And, of course, when we note that the distinction between the two is whether or not they are presently holding a gun or the activation stud for a bomb, you can't. Yeah, I don't think they walk around with a name tag that says, Hi, I'm Abdul. Ask me about Hamas. Uh, you know, I, I don't think they're doing that. So that's problem number one. But here's the biggest problem, right? <laughs> this is the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Okay, say you get these uh, jihadist terrorists of the Iranian uh, sort uh, to agree to leave Gaza. Where do they go? Where do you send them? Uh, remember, Egypt has already stated that if any uh, Gazan citizens cross the border into Egypt, that Israel facilitates this sort of thing from South Gaza, that Egypt would declare war on Israel. That's how serious they are about not taking these people in. Jordan, they going to take them in? I don't think so. Saudi Arabia? Nope. Uh, maybe Iran, since uh, they're so uh, magnanimous in terms of their praise of martyrs dying and so forth. Maybe they'll take them all. I sincerely doubt it. So, where do you send these people you're supposedly expelling? These are people that are paid to think about these things, uh, and this whole article mentions nothing about it. All of this to say that uh, it doesn't bode well for any other solution than for Israel to continue on with a military operation that wipes out uh, high-level and lower-level uh, members of uh, this jihadist uh, organization that is committed to the extermination of Jews, no matter what world opinion says, no matter if Anthony Blinken loses the stomach for it, uh, whether they think Israel has the credit to do this or not. I think if we're talking about moral credit, wasn't that all pretty much settled not only at the Holocaust, but the last three wars of extermination the Arabs launched against the Jews? I, I think that pretty much gives you all the, the cred, if you will, that you need. If the United States is talking about cutting Israel off at the knees, well, Chuck Schumer, of all people, uh, not uh, one of those people I tend to agree with quite a bit in terms of his worldview, uh, had a, what I thought was a magnificent speech in, on the floor of the Senate today declaring uh, that it was his party and the policies of his party and left-leaning academia that is largely responsible for the meteoric rise of anti-Semitism in this country. I think it's pretty fascinating that even a guy like Chuck Schumer is saying these sort of things and calling for his own party to get its house in order regarding what's going on here. So, um, you know, it just kind of comes back to uh, what the Bible tells us in the book of Zechariah 
chapter 12, that Jerusalem is going to be a stumbling stone and a cup of reeling or, or falling down drunkenness for all the nations that are surrounded. They'll all be gathered against it. And if you want an example of that, look two weeks ago at the Pierce Morgan interview where a debate was hosted between Rabbi Shmuley, who has children in the IDF serving presently, and YouTuber and petulant man-child Muhammad Hijab, who provided another solution for the Palestinian conflict by offering Hamas tanks and airplanes. Okay. That way that they're fighting on evil le even levels with their militaries. Mm. So there are other options. <laughs> okay. There you go. So that's your prophecy update for today. Things, you know, I didn't think we were going to really have a whole lot to talk about about one o'clock today, but then all of this stuff just broke it's at once. In, yeah. So yeah. Uh, pray for uh, peace. Pray for the leadership in Israel. Pray for the protection of the Jewish people. Pray that both Jew and Palestinian in this area are going to be visited by a tremendous revival. Uh, a, uh, an opportunity to be able to receive Jesus as their Savior. That's, I think, the only uh, option that makes any sense in all this crazy world. Yeah, yeah. So. Amen to that. Well, thank you. Thanks for that. Once again, send your questions in if you're joining us. We're about halfway through our show, so we've got plenty of time to address some of your questions on the Bible. So send them on in, whatever platform you're on, and we will get to those today. We have a question from Sylvie. Uh, a Sunday school student told me he doesn't want to go to hell. It's a good thing. He wants to go to heaven and be an angel. I told him he won't be an angel. Angels are separate beings. However, I didn't know. Um, I didn't know if he would have wings, um, and I didn't know when he would get his res resurrected body. I think he wanted to be an angel so he could have wings. But so um, Sylvie's not sure if he will have wings in heaven or when the, his resurrected body would. Um, happen can you help with that well i think uh the best way to understand the resurrection body is that we will receive a resurrection body that is like jesus mm. as we born the image of the earthly man paul said in first corinthians chapter 15 so we will bear the likeness of the heavenly man that is jesus now when jesus ascended into heaven in the presence of his disciples he didn't sprout wings and begin flapping we we're told that he was ascended in, in a cloud. All the descriptions of Jesus that we see, even his glorified uh, appearance to the Apostle John in the book of Revelation chapter 1, describes some pretty amazing things about Jesus. Hair white as wool, eyes like flames of fire, a sharp two-edged sword proceeding from his mouth, his voice like the sound of many waters, uh, a, a, a bright lightning-like robe covering him, the band of a high priest across his chest, in his right hand the seven stars, the seven churches represented there, and uh, again, feet like uh, burnished bronze glowing in a furnace where he can trample out his foes. No mention of wings. So since we're going to have a resurrection body like Jesus, we won't have wings, but fear not. If uh, we need to fly somewhere to accomplish God's purpose, I think we'll be able to do that. Why? Because when Jesus left here, he went airborne. He had that capability. I believe he will as well. Anything you... Well, and then going back to the issue of angels and wings, I'm sorry to 
break the bubble for those who enjoyed It's a Wonderful Life and the whole moniker of, you know, every time that bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Well, there's only two types of angels that are ever actually described with wings, and believe it or not, Gabriel and Michael are neither of them. Um, The type of angel, and the word angel, by the way, isn't a type of creature. It's a job description. It just means messenger. It's what you do, not what you are. But when the angels are described, uh, these particular heavenly creatures, what are called cherubim, and then in separate settings, but kind of similar, are seraphim, which means burning ones. Uh, They had multiple wings, not just the two to fly like the average aviary on this planet, but they had six, and they were serving unique purposes and significant ones at that. You can read about them in Isaiah chapter 6, and then if you want to read about the cherubim, the blessings, the exalted ones, uh, those guys also had six wings, and they also did uh, significant things with them. You could read about them in Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel 10, Revelation 4, and I believe um, they are mentioned kind of in passing in Genesis 3 and a few other areas. If you read the articles of the temple, they're artistically portrayed, but any physical appearances of them are in those passages. So when we're talking about angels in general, and the difference between us and them. You're right to say that they're a separate creature altogether, that we won't cease to be human and become angels. That's not Christianity. That's actually a Mormon claim. But if we—and that's, by the way, the claim is if you don't uh, get married in a Mormon temple, then you can't obviously continue with the eternal lives, and they twist that into meaning that you will be able to produce offspring for eternity, produce eternal lives, see? Well, that's, of course, not only mishandling of Scripture, but it's completely false. But their picture of this eternal family being your role as a god and goddess, if you don't do that, then you'll become an angel. And they even went on to explain that Noah, in his failure to perform a wedding and marriage at a temple, Um, he became the angel Gabriel. I don't know why we needed to know that, and it's not true, but that point being said, if you run into a Mormon, they say that it's in their sources. So when we're talking about what the Bible actually states, the best place to go for what we need to know about angels, apart from Revelation 19, is in Hebrews chapter 1, with a lot of Old Testament references, by the way. Uh, Hebrews 1 makes a distinction in noting when Jesus took on the form of a man— He was classified as a little lower than the angels. So where we are is below them. And don't take my word for it. Uh, This is in Hebrews chapter 1, and let's start in verse 2. Having purged our sins... Uh, excuse me, verse uh, 3, the subheading was 2, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has an inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So notice that when Jesus was exalted, brought back to the place with the Father, he was above the angels, given a name more excellent than they. And I think Creator, a la Philippians 2, chapters 3 through 11, would lay that out quite nicely, that he has given the name which is above every name, 
not just in angels, but everything else. <laughs> so note that, above the angels. But then notice that as the author of Hebrews is making his case, and he makes a distinction between him and the angels, he says in verse 6, which is quoting uh, the book of Deuteronomy 32, says, excuse me, let all the angels of God worship him in reference to the firstborn from the world. And he goes on in verse 7 to make another quote in Psalm 104, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers, his servants, a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, so sorry, Jehovah's Witnesses, Jesus is not an angel. He makes a distinction between the Son and saying the angels are addressed as such, but the Son is treated as something so much more when then he goes on to make another quotation in Psalm 45. Now, this is where we get into where the distinction is at. In verse 14, it describes these angels as ministering spirits that are sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation. Now, if that's then the case, and he's been brought under this position, where do we prove that? Well, in chapter 2, noting Jesus is exalted above the angels, what happened first? I've been making this allusion as we've been talking to this, talking about this, excuse me. It says in verse 9 of Hebrews chapter 2, but we see Jesus who was made, not who is, who was made. This was a form that he took on at a moment of time, a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Then it goes on to note that it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, by bringing many sons to glory, to be made captain of their salvation, perfect through sufferings. For he sanctifies, and is the one who are being sanctified, are all one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly I will sing praise to you, and I will put my trust in him. Which, once again, are Old Testament quotes from the Psalms. So, if that's then the case, what is the hierarchy here. When Jesus redeemed us, he became one of us in a position lower. He was made lower than the angels. Mm. If the angels are then remaining their status where Christ voluntarily took that position below them, now, according to Hebrews chapter 1, he's exalted above them. And according to the passages that you were quoting in we can add on more. We can talk about uh, John 21. We can talk about 1 John chapter 3 and plenty of others. We shall be like him, not in category of deity, but in a position and role at the right hand of the Father. And that is what? Above the angels. Right. So the glorified man, as demonstrated firsthand by Jesus, is above the angels, not necessarily in opinionated beauty, but in purpose and hierarchy in God's kingdom. If we then, and this is what Paul was mentioning in 1 Corinthians regarding their squabbles with each other legally, don't you know that you're going to judge angels? It's not saying that we're going to decide if they go to heaven or hell or not. That'll be taken care of by the final judge. When we have stewardship, leadership, ownership over these angels, these heavenly creatures, they will serve a purpose just like we are serving under our Lord today. So if that position of leadership and stewardship is required of us then, don't you think it'd be good practice to start getting in the mood for that with each other now? Right. We can't handle our little squabbles, then how are we going to fulfill uh, sound purposes in the heavenly realm? So the point being made is that we are at present time where Christ once was, made lower than the angels, 
when Christ was made above the angels, sitting at the right hand of the Father, that's where we will join him, not as deity, but in glory. And that's when we will be made higher than them. So to say, I want to be an angel, is to desire to be trading down. And this, I think, you know, all the angelology and spiritual stuff, oh, I, I don't know if I can explain this to a Sunday school kid. The best way to approach it is, look, regardless of what you will be, here's the best part about heaven. You'll be with Jesus, the guy who's in charge of the angels. And that's pretty cool. I think if you are able to settle yeah. that yeah. <laughs> issue, then the semantics about whether or not I'll be, you know, Archangel Weed. from the X-Men and stuff is going to be irrelevant. I'll be with Jesus. That's right. what heaven's all about. Right. We'll be like him. We won't be struggling with the sinful flesh anymore. We won't be brought down by the ways that we just rebel against and fall away from him by nature. We'll be able to enjoy him uninterrupted and without shame forever. That's pretty cool. So in terms of semantics and theology, note the hierarchy. We are below, he is above, we're going to him, not aligning up with those under him. Yeah. But if that's then the case, what is the point of that? What heaven's all about? We're with him, and that's the point. Yeah, I wonder what the angels think about that right now when they see us to know we're going to be... Um, above the same I, book, I, they say yeah. that they desire to look into this. Right. They're yeah. amazed. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm I'm sure they look at each other and they say, you know, I think we can trust God. Yeah. <laughs> this is right. his plan. That's right. <laughs> Let's yeah. not look at them. Let's look at God. Yeah, <laughs> which is a good thing for all of us to do. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is that? Where's that verse where it says the angels when he sees God God's work of grace over us? It's something they basically fascinated by. Uh, right? It's first, such a great First Peter chapter one, the end of the chapter. Uh, Talking about the the uh, salvation that you receive, things that angels long to yeah. get to. Yeah, First Peter one twelve. Yeah, it's such a cool verse and interesting to think of that that the angels are like, wow, these works of grace. Which <laughs> always is convicting to me because there's sometimes where I'll be hearing a message about God's grace and our salvation, and there's part of me that kind of goes on cruise control and says, yeah, I think I got that one. Mm. Well, I read a passage like that, and I know I don't got that one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think angels are a little smarter than I am, <laughs> and they're puzzled by it all. Probably, yeah, yes, that's right. So good. Yeah, great. Well, Sylvie, thank you for that question, and bless you for for ministering to the the young people, wherever that might be. Obviously, in a, in a church. Thanks for doing that. Bless you for doing that. Keep keep on keeping on with that, and I hope that helps you out as you uh, have those conversations with those young people. Question from Jake: What is your opinion on salvation for people who are transgender? Same thing that requires salvation for someone who's heterosexual. Same thing that's required for someone who has uh, bent towards gambling. Someone who is fallen and sinful and expresses it in any which way. It is available for someone who is a part of the quote-unquote trans community, just like it is available for anyone who isn't, and it's through the same means. What's concerning about this is that the uh, especially in the United States, American and Western culture, other areas too. But they would put obstacles between someone and the gospel because they center their identity on their sexual preferences or their sexual perception of themselves. And Scripture presents a different source of our purpose and meaning, which is a necessary step for them to make towards the gospel. So when we say, is salvation available to them? Well, in the same way that it's available to all of us, but the problem is we have a culture right now that's reinforcing 
the greatest obstacle any of us have to get over, which is to view ourselves not in light of how we feel, but the value that God has placed upon us. And this is what I mean. When Scripture says that he has purchased us with his own blood, we're not saying that Jesus created a few coins out of his blood cells and then like placed them on the table as some sort of exchange rate, like we were slaves at a market or something. The picture's meant to be graphic, but the idea is that in laying down his life, he set a value for us that is beyond that of the universe, that the life of the Son of God, (laughs) or rather God the Son, was placed in order to ransom you was the price he was willing to pay. And a modern example would be like an eBay bid. You know, you got the timer set and usually people wait for like the last three seconds to pay one cent more so they can get the lowest price on it. Well, in this case, it would be as if, you know, and the illustration was even made in the book of Hosea, Old Testament, by the way, of a woman who had gone her way done some unsorted things that unless you want to ask specifically about it, we won't get into right now, but she sold herself basically into slavery and was being sold at half price because she had just been that abused through the process. And God told Hosea, go and purchase her full price and make sure that she's safe and taken care of again. This will be an illustration of how I will redeem my people from what they have put themselves into. So the idea is that if we want to purchase something, we think, well, the best deal, right? Because that's what benefits me. God said, no, I'm going to pay the full price that I think this is worth. So you're thinking, oh, this uh, collector's edition, one, two hundred dollars? No, infinity. That's the price that I pay on this. But the asking price was only fifteen dollars. No, this is how much I see that as worth. And the question then is, well, I see my worth in light of my community, in light of my feelings, in light of my sexual experience or attractions, the sort of things that this culture says you should be exultant in and and quote-unquote proud of, right? But the world sells us for far too small a price because God placed his own life when he took on flesh at a rate higher than that of this entire universe. And I'm repeating that so that the point's understood. If we think that you are demeaning me by not treating me as I identify, that's usually the argument. You're dead naming me, you're treating me as less than human because you don't recognize how I view my humanity. Well, God measures you on the same price and value as deity. He was willing to pay his own life for you. And I see the value of God's life above any life that you could make for yourself. I'm not saying as to whether or not it's true or false. That's a good point. So make sure that when, if you're talking to someone about this issue or someone who struggles with this issue, that the conversation isn't on how they value themselves, their value system, their self-perception, because that's what this whole identity system is based on. What I feel is my worth. And they live in light of that. That's what would give them peace. The Christian instead looks at the value God placed on them and says, thank you. I'm adopting that as my source of purpose, my source of identity. He who is in Christ is a new creation. Mm -hmm. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. So if the world says you can deal with your gender dysphoria or your flawed perceptions of yourself or your discomfort in your own skin by getting these augmentative surgeries. You're a new creation. Well, we are in a sense, and don't 
well, they'll take it out of context anyway, so I'll just say it. We're not transgender, we're trans soul. We've transcended into Christ. We now identify with him before the throne of God, not to appease ourselves or bring peace to ourselves, but to bring peace with God through the price he was willing to pay, not the prices I'm willing to pay to accommodate something that, according to people who've actually been through the surgery like Walt Hare, say don't even actually solve the problem because it never was the actual issue. So if you want to talk about people who've been through the surgery and have regretted it, you want to talk about people who have thought that this sort of lifestyle was the answer and they sought therapists that would just tell them what they wanted to hear, talk about the organizations that are trying to criminalize people who would dare offer any alternative than what the science says, it's a whole other topic. But understand this, salvation is available to anyone who trusts the name of Christ. Not that they stop sinning, not that they clean up their life, not that they go back on their surgeries or stop wearing the makeup and dresses or whatever. That can be dealt with as a heart-to-heart issue between you and him later. What matters now is that your value system changes from what I want, what I think, what I feel, to what he paid. And that's what it ultimately comes down to. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that uh, really hits the nail on the head, and especially I think, and I pray that that gives clarity uh, to those that are struggling with this whole idea from the side of being uh, someone who has either gone through uh, transgender surgery or is leaning in that direction. Uh, the other side of it, though, is uh, I think we have to also address the issue in terms of some I think well-meaning but maybe uh, out-bibling the Bible uh, Christians who will say that if you do something like this, you are unsavable. Uh, I've heard right. people say this sort of thing. Well, I think that's as silly as saying if you get a tattoo, you are unsavable. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus didn't die for your skin. He died for your heart, soul, mind, and your spirit. You know, the, uh, the thing that Jesus does for us is essentially spiritual. This body that we have, no matter how what alterations or changes that we have, uh, is going to give up the ghost. It's mm-hmm. a temporary thing, but who we are on the inside uh, is what really matters. And, and so in that light, no matter what we've done with our bodies on the outside, uh, can God still reach us on the inside? Well, yeah, a passage that gets quoted more and more these days, but I think with good purpose and intent, uh, is found in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Writing there, the Apostle Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But here's the kicker. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, who was sanctified and who was justified? Well, let's go down the list. People involved in fornication, they were sanctified and they were justified when they turned to Christ. Idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. It go down, goes down the line. It doesn't matter who we were on the outside. What matters is, as you mentioned, Sean, the fact that we are a new creation in Christ. Old things passed away, behold, new things have come. So no one, no matter how out there they may be on their lifestyle, is uh, in, unable 
to uh, not be reached by the love of God. And that offends a lot of people. Uh, I've been in on uh, secular uh, uh, TV and radio shows where people were absolutely outraged at the mm-hmm. concept that, uh, say, Charles Tex Watson, uh, who uh, was part of the Manson family and uh, was uh, directly involved with the killing of uh, Rosemary Leo LaBianca and Sharon Tate and the others, that uh, he had a jailhouse conversion and came to Christ. And you said, well, you know, because of that, I would consider Charles Tex Watson my brother. Uh, James Dobson caught an awful lot of grief uh, for sitting down and having conversations with Ted Bundy, the famous serial killer. And Ted Bundy made a profession of faith in Christ. Now, sincere, not sincere, when you're a sociopath and a psychopath, hard to tell. But the bottom line is, if he turned from the heart to God, uh, it it wasn't what Ted Bundy had done. It wasn't what Charles Tex Watson had done. It's what Jesus has done. Mm -hmm that really matters in the long run. So there's no one that is beyond the reach of being forgiven and restored by God and led into a brand new life by Christ. You know, people say, well, I've gone too far. God couldn't possibly love me. Uh, boy, that's not the voice of God. Right. That's not something you want to listen to because I, I think it was Billy Sunday who once said that Christ not only saves to the uttermost, he saves to the guttermost. Right. And Billy Sunday before... You know, Chris, famous ball player, raging alcoholic, ended up being a skid row drunk, lost everything, mm. gave his life to Christ, and Christ turned him around. So right. he knew whereof he spoke. Yes. Hopefully we do too. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, yes, Jake, thank you for your question. Hope that helps you out. Thanks for being part of the show through your question today. A uh, question from Tim. Who wrote the book of Lamentations, and why does the author seem so angry at God? And what does the Bible say about being angry with God? He lets him write books. Um, Lamentations, <laughs> I don't know what you're referring to. The book kind of levels the blame where it's due at what people have done, not well, what Well, easy God's answer to the question. It was uh, Jeremiah's reaction <clears throat> to seeing the destruction of Jerusalem. Yeah, you want someone who was not necessarily angry at God, but definitely confused and asking God tough questions, I'd recommend mm-hmm. the book of Habakkuk, which is about the same length as uh, Lamentations. But on, or the book of Job. Yes, Job was much longer. Job. But <laughs> when Job was asking important questions, when Lamentations was just observing in a nutshell, what have we done? <laughs> we have no one to blame but ourselves for what's happening here. And it's horrifying, but it is just. Uh, Habakkuk was an even more interesting question because it was observing the events of Lamentations 200 to 300 years prior. And as Habakkuk's looking at all of the horrible things that are happening in Israel, it's essentially a Psalm 73 revisited, right? Why does all of this happen. Violence is taking place and you're not saving people. God, why are you letting evil people get away with all this stuff? And God says, I'm going to send the Babylonians to judge them. And he's putting the math together and he's like, wait, you're going to send a serial killer to judge a serial killer? You're, we're committing idolatry, so you're sending the people who invented idolatry? Basically. I, I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> and note, Habakkuk's response isn't, God, you're in the wrong. The chapter two starts with, I'll wait to be corrected here, because clearly I'm missing something. Right. And then verse four is uh, probably the <laughs> most quoted verse in the New Testament, as far as a singular passage goes, in the entire Old Testament to the New, the just shall live by faith. You have the opportunity to trust me here with the reasons that you have. 
You don't see the whole picture. I do. What do you have to work with? Chapter 3 goes through the examples, and chapter 4 is a song reflecting on, hey, if cattle aren't in the stalls, grain aren't in the barns, the worst possible scenario for someone living in an agricultural environment, an agrarian society, he says, still I will put my hope in the Lord. He will make my deer's Uh, my feet like deer's feet running on the high hills. And the picture was, of course, an animal that can get back up real quick after it falls. Mm -hmm. So the idea of, you know, don't say those things to God because he'll get upset or something. No, he's not insecure. He'll tolerate us as we ask stupid questions. But if, on the other hand, we'd say, you know, I have this emotional perception towards God and it's making me say a lot of dumb stuff, well, that's what we would call putting the Lord to a foolish test. And if we allow our emotions to dictate decisions, like, I'm mad at God, therefore I'm going to renounce him and say that there is no God, well, that's foolish. But if you say, I'm mad at God because I'm clearly expecting something from him here that he's not providing, what's the issue here? And Lamentations is a perfect example of the best debunking of that. I'm the problem, not him. Mm-hmm. Habakkuk was an example of, I don't have the knowledge here. What am I missing? Um, Job was never told why he went through the things that he did, but what ultimately resulted in the end? A slap in the face to Satan's argument that God isn't good when things are bad. Yeah. And that's the point. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that I would say about books like Lamentations or Job or Habakkuk Mm. is uh, before I was a Christian and would bring treasures out of the storehouse of ignorance, I would tell people, oh, you know, the Bible is a book for little old ladies and people don't sleep well at night, you know, because that's what I thought it was, fairy tales and so on. But you read the Bible and you discover it's not only true, it's almost too true for us uh, because you see people wrestling through the real issues of life. You see people under horrendous personal conditions uh, reaching out uh, for wisdom and understanding and knowledge of God, even uh, to the point where they are painfully and sometimes uh, kind of eye-rollingly honest about uh, their sense of, of not understanding what God is up to. You know, there's a fascinating passage in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 that I think explains books like Lamentations. Uh, it says, For we do not have a high priest, referring to Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That word boldly there in, uh, in Greek is two Greek words fused together. Uh, one of those Greek words is the word to say, and then the other word is anything. In other words, mm-hmm. we can come to God. We don't have to self-censor. We don't have to speak in old uh, English. Uh, we don't have to say, oh, well, I can't say that because God, will... God already knows. You've searched me and known me. You know my downsitting and my uprising. You scrutinize my path and my laying down. You understand my thoughts afar mm-hmm. off, uh, Psalm 139 says. Before there's a word on my tongue, you know it all together. Yeah. So, you know, when you know, I find myself uh, overwhelmed, uh, o- over the top, I know that God is the one I can say anything to. Right. and uh, that he's not going to say, oh, well, you know, here I thought you and I had this relationship together, but you said that. Well, God already knows what's going on in our hearts, yeah. and God can take it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just think it's fascinating that one of the things that Jesus said when he suffered on the cross, he quoted Psalm 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Yeah. Of all the scriptures he could quote, 
you know, to describe the level of suffering he was going through spiritually as he bore our sins on the cross. He said that. I can't think of a more searingly honest thing to say in that set mm-hmm. of circumstances. In Jesus' human nature, he said that. And guess what? Jesus never sinned. Yeah, right. You desire honesty in the innermost parts, David right. said in Psalm 51. You don't desire for us to phony it up and keep a stiff upper lip and call that spirituality. Right. God wants us to be real. Right. Yeah. But there's a wonderful thing happens when we pray that our minds are changed. You know, we could come to God angry in our prayer, but this this is the beautiful thing with prayer where we start to maybe hear ourselves pray and hear ourselves talk and of course God the Holy Spirit leads us and changes our mind and that's really prayer is more about our minds being changed than yeah, us trying our to will with God's put, yeah. not his with ours. <laughs> yeah. uh, you hang out with someone who's more chill than you, you kind of feel silly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's but right. but you know there have been times where uh, I have said things to God that weren't very spiritual. I remember there was one time in my life where a certain set of circumstances went down. I was just outraged, so hurt. I went out on a fire road in Irvine by myself, and I just yelled at God, and I said, I hate these people. I hate them. I don't hate the sin and love the sinner. I hate them. I hate anything good that happens to them. I hate their house pets. I don't know if I said that, but, (laughs) but, you know. I would hope you wouldn't. But it was funny. As soon as I got done venting all of this, this calm came over me, and the Lord brought to my mind that scripture of Jesus praying in the garden of Gethsemane and an angel was sent to strengthen him because he was sweating as it were great drops of blood. It was like the Lord was saying, if my son needed my power uh, through the spirit to do what was right when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, what makes you think you can do what is right in your own strength? Mm. I realized I was trying to do the right thing. I was trying to be forgiving, but I ran out of gas. Yeah. But the Lord never does. And that opened the, the, uh, the doors of grace in my life. Mm. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Thank you for your questions. We'll be back again same time, same place tomorrow for more of the same. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.